Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show as we look out on a snowy landscape this week. It's not pretty snow, though. It, it depends on where you look. You know, our backyard, our backyard looks pretty good. I mean, it's not the frosted trees like we normally get, but the backyard looks pretty good. It, you know, we'd have more of the frosted snowy tree look if the f- guy who owned the land didn't decide to clear cut everything just because. The guy behind us, yes. not on our land. No, not our land. The, the guy behind us who well, decided they, to clear cut everything. They were all dead ash trees, for the record. I get that. But yeah, it's a severe lack of trees out there. However, you know, if you look in our front yard, it doesn't even cover the grass. True. It's It's got that ripply snow effect because the wind's blowing so hard. It doesn't have that smooth icing look that i love so much when we get snow that we have to go out and ruin yes don't ruin the snow anyway anyway you know what else happened this week so very many things this week um we watched the premiere of the amazon top gear yes or the grand tour as they are calling it Mm -hmm. and i don't know about your opinion but my opinion was it was a bigger, more expensive continuation of Top Gear under Clarkson, Hammond, and May. That was not my opinion. Um, it definitely, yes, it had all of the Top Gear fuel, which I fully expected it to have. It They took, you know, the top writers, the top talent, mm-hmm. and the top producer of Top Gear and moved and changed the title. I expected it to be very much like Top Gear. I found it disjointed. Well, that's I what I meant. I found it to be um like I'd walked into uneven. the middle of somebody's private joke. Yeah, um, I th- and I in think some it was... places, I think they tried too hard in some areas. Um it wasn't the natural flow that Top Gear always felt like. Well, that was Kind of work because I felt that the last season with them was just as uneven, hmm. and it was a lot of we're trying to push stuff as opposed to a natural flow. That and that that was what I meant by that. It felt like a continuation of the last season of Top Gear under them. I, I guess. I mean, I kind of felt like the last season of Top Gear. Um, and once you know, like, sort of all of the story, you kind of can see where it came comes from. But I felt like they had sort of run out of ideas. Um, and it wasn't fresh anymore. This didn't even feel fresh. It felt odd. It just did. And, and unless it gets better, which I'm ever hopeful for, um, I'm just afraid that this is going to die a very expensive, fiery death. I don't know. Um, The question is, can their rabid fan base keep them alive? Well, I think it will keep them alive for a while. I will say that even the disjointed and horrendous segments of Grand Tour were better than some of the Chris Evans segments of Top Gear. Well, it didn't take much. Hey, there's that. But um, I don't like their new track. No, that that just the Ebola dome. I don't like that. Ebola drome. Okay. Um, Autodroma. <laughs> Ebola. Yeah, I guess that, that kind of felt hashed together and and 
lazily done at best. Yeah. I, you know, I get the humor they were trying to put into some of the corner names, but it doesn't feel right. It was more the layout that they went with this dog dog bone shaped track, essentially. Yeah, it doesn't look like one that would challenge the cars at, at... at their core. What it seemed like, and, and this is what struck me as Clarkson was giving the tour, it struck me as a track that was laid out not to test a car, but to film a car. Oh, yeah. You know, that's why there's that that turn that is essentially to drift around. Mm-hmm. Because that gives them really good cinematics. They don't want the dead-on straight. They want the straight with the slight curve because they want to be able to drive the car really fast and see the car heeling over in one direction or another as it goes through the turn. That's what I think You know, track I think you is. might actually have a point there. Now, one of the things that we learned in one of the annuals um, that we've bought through the years from the old Top Gear was that the track that they used in Top Gear was designed by Lotus. Yes, I mean, that was a track designed to test a car. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I'm I'm reeling so much from this one is that it was far more about cutesy corner names and less about and probably filming and filming constraints. Yeah. And, and less about testing the car. Even the dog is upset by the dog bone shaped apparently. track. Um, apparently our in-studio audience has uh, decided that there's a deer that's more important than us. <laughs> so, anyway. So, to F1, while okay. we're talking about tracks. So, Bernie has uh, come out and said that he has gotten word that the organizers of the Singapore Grand Prix no longer want to hold a Formula One race there. Really? Yeah. But they have such a visually stunning track. Um, they have random people wandering on the track. He, he had an interview with the German publication Automotor und Sport. Okay. Um, where he said that it was his belief that Singapore was not going to extend, extend its race deal. Um, he also uh, said that he would not be surprised if some of the – the current manufacturers, including Mercedes, quit in the next few years, too. Which this is where it leads me to believe that he is getting some signals that he does not like from Liberty Media. And this is his way of saying, keep me and I'll keep them. That is exactly what that sounds like. Because that's always been the Bernie way of keeping power is... You got to have me or we're going to lose Red Bull. You got to have me or you're going to lose Mercedes or you got to have me or you're going to lose Ferrari. You know, that's that is the that's the Bernie playbook 101. But there's some interesting and and I know it's a little hard to, to gauge tone from the print media that we're getting this from. Interesting statements and what seems to be a rather interesting tone from what Bernie had to say. So let me let me read Bernie's statement here. It could happen to us that Mercedes and Ferrari run away, explained Eccleston. But honestly, if the races get better, this may not be such a terrible vision. We have to expect the manufacturers to leave us anyway. Mercedes will retire on the day when it suits them, and it's something we had before. 
Look at Honda, BMW, and Toyota. They go when Formula One has done the job for them. There is no gratitude. It is the same with the organizers. Look at what we have done for Singapore. Yes, the Grand Prix has cost Singapore a lot of money, but we've also given them a lot of money. Singapore was suddenly more than just an airport to fly to or from somewhere. Now they believe they have reached their goal and they do not want a Grand Prix anymore. So Singapore became great because they had a Grand Prix for one weekend a year? That's what Bernie is saying. Interesting. little megalomania right there, but okay. Well, that, uh, that's Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> okay, and? So I just, I thought that was some interesting wording there. Given how much the teams and everybody loves coming to that race and how it has been... Um, likened and compared very much in terms of the atmosphere to Monaco. Mm. And Singapore is considered to be one of the places, the two places on the track that the deals really happen. I don't know how quickly Singapore is going to dump them. Now, if the rumors that we heard are true that this year attendance is down and it possibly, um, which is our theory, that stacking Malaysia and Singapore the way they have is having an impact. And maybe Singapore is pissed off about that. Yeah. Maybe it could do them in. I think it much more reads like Bernie feels that he's the one that could keep them. I, I think, or at least that's what he's trying to sell. Yeah. Now, can we continue with Bernie? Because I think in our pre-show... We're going to get to what you want later on. Oh, okay. That's, that's I just figured we would do end. all of Bernie in one no, shot. No, we're going to get it to the end. Okay. We have we have an almost flow here. Because we're still talking about races here. Oh, okay. You know that whole rumored Vegas race thing that I said, yeah, that Bernie said they just needed a pen, and I said, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. Well, now there is word that Liberty is trying to bring a race to Vegas. Oh, interesting. As a back-to-back. -back. I don't know. I just – I. I go back to, I'll believe it when I see it. Liberty is also talking that they want more races on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their feeling is more races means more money for the teams. More money for the teams is better for the sport. So it's better for us to have more races. I don't know. And then especially when you look at the fact that we've got currently three races that are supposedly listed as to be confirmed yeah. for next year possibly more that are in trouble well i think the teams have all said that 21 is about the limit that they could afford to do i mean it's a lot of work to prepare for a race well, you've like got that. to ramp up it's a significant investment to really go much further than they are now and didn't we have a story um about this time or a little bit later in the maybe the off season um, last year about teams having trouble finding mechanics that could basically leave their lives for nine I th months? I think there was something about that. Finding qualified personnel is becoming a challenge. It is Because the travel is so intense. Yeah. I, I mean, I would be opposed to you having to do that. Well, yeah, but we're also married. The, we uh, are? The, <laughs> This is what I mean by that, though. You know, if you are a 20-something-year-old 
engineer fresh out of college who is looking for, A, a way to start and get yourself established, or say you've been down in the a mechanic in the lower series and you're looking to really grow your career and make a name for yourself, this is an awesome opportunity if they were to go and add races. I mean, you put on your your uh, your CV, because, you know, they're not resumes for those guys, but you put on your CV that you were the pit lane engineer or whatever for just about any Formula One team, with possibly the exception of Sauber, um, only because, seriously, they're struggling. <laughs> Manor, maybe. But just about any other Formula One team, you could probably write your way for the remainder of your career within the automotive performance industry. Well, Steve Matchett's done it for years. Yeah, but he wrote it a different way. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that 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 is a, a good example right there. I mean, he's also, he's articulate and well-spoken and can write very well and was able to leverage those so that he didn't need to stay on the engineering side. Well, I mean, yes, I believe firmly that if you were young and unmarried and didn't have attachments, but even with all of that, let's just pretend for a moment that you don't have a kid and you don't have a, a, a family, a, a nuclear family. You have mm -hmm. mom and dad. That's even still that traveling for nine months out of the year like that is still hard on somebody. I, I'm I'm not disagreeing. I can at, imagine the burnout and, and, rate is and pretty And I think high. what what they would need to do at that point is that they wouldn't have quite as many folks traveling that long. Well, you would, you have would to be rotate like rotations and yeah. things like that. But that starts it's to affect races because it doesn't take much for there to be a rotation of somebody. It'd be an out of sync crew or something like that. And Lewis Hamilton go. That's the reason I lost the race is because Johnny wasn't here. Well, you, you have your early season crew and your postseason crew, and it causes—yeah. Th there's all kinds of potentials for issues. Now, that being said, as a fan, yeah, sure, I want to see more races. But I understand the the challenge of the logistics behind it. I, I get it. You know, I'm as big a fan as anybody in this room. <laughs> well, <And> that's good. <laughs> and, yes, I would love to see— more of my drivers but i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out there a hesitation on more races because it's not just for me it's not just 90 minutes on sunday that we watch the race and, and beyond the two fact hours that, on saturday and it's it beyond the fact that we have a podcast if we ignore the fact that we also do this for fun and enjoyment um it's more than 90 minutes because we do try to get the feeds from overseas. So that's mm -hmm. three hours of Formula One fantasticness. It's three to four hours of Formula One on Saturday. It's catching up with a few things on, on Friday to see what's going on. It's a there's, there's no break really in the off season. We're watching for testing. We're watching for this. We're watching for that. By the time you add all of that up, one of the things I like about the off weeks is that that's my time to get some other stuff done. <laughs> True. I mean, I like I said, I'm as big a fan as anybody, but I look at the difference between like the time commitment that we have to Formula One 
is about equal to those insane people that go tailgating for the Browns starting at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday for, you know, the five o'clock game. I think that's when they play. I don't know when they do that. It doesn't really matter what time they play. They're there as soon as the lot opens. Yeah, when the lot opens, and they're there until the lot basically closes at night. And I think they're kind of crazy, and pretty much if we counted hours, we're just as crazy. So, I mean, I, I have to be honest with that piece. 21 races has been hard to figure out how to squeeze in it. What was it, two weeks ago? We could not figure out yeah, how to we put a podcast together because our timing was so off. So it's not it, – there. I have to balance not just the fact that I know how expensive it is for the team and the time commitment and the worry about these people's families because that's the kind of girl I am. I also have to have factor in my own time commitment. And it's not like I'll be less of a fan. It's just that you know our kitchen will just get dirtier. Okay, but here's the thing. Three weeks from now – I Maybe will even be four weeks from now. Up a wall. There you go. We're going to be looking at each other, going, "Well, now what the hell are we going to talk about?" I, know. I mean, but we have all this stuff in the testing lab that needs to start coming out. We've got to talk about trips. We've got to talk about planning. We have holidays to review. We could go into recipes. I don't care. There will be content. This will be the time when all of our non F one fans come rushing back to us and go. <gasps> Finally, y'all stop talking about those cars. Yeah, we'll see how that happens. Anyway, so moving on. More track stuff. Yes. Remember how I mentioned that the Brazilian Grand Prix is still sitting as a pending to be confirmed. Did it get steps. confirmed? Um, no, actually, pr the promoter of the race, he did tell Autosport that he was 95% certain that the uh, – race would remain on the calendar when the official version is published later this month. However, he did say that if it was dropped, and these are his, his very words, quote, we have a very old and powerful company here and will immediately get another international race for the circuit. People come to Interlagos because they are petrol heads, and once a year they want a big international race. I'm in the business of running international motor races, and if I can't run F1, which I have been running for 42 years, it's like if Pavarotti dies. You get another singer. <laughs> you have an opera house, and you have to fill the seats, so that's what I'll do. I don't lose sleep over that. Take that, Bernie Eccleston. Whoa. I kind of like him. <laughs> I, I, I'm Interlagos I'm, doesn't need Formula One. Formula One needs Interlagos. I like it. I like it. Go promoter of Interlagos. Yeah. <laughs> or Autodromo, whatever that one is. Autodromo Carlos Pache. Very good. Okay. Nothing else on it? No. All right. I, I, I like him, though. Stick it to the man. Don't take it from the man. <laughs> well, Interlagos, and, and it's one reason that Formula One should try to keep the race there is because, if nothing else, Interlagos does what Bernie wants and what the fans want. The weather and the situation there tends to make it very unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And this year, it most definitely was to a, to a point. Whoa, was it ever. Uh, it, it got to a point that 
I honestly was wondering whether or not that the race, any laps were going to be run that were not under a safety car. Well, there was that piece. And, you know, it's not very often that you hear even NBC Sports discuss the time rules Mm -hmm. of Formula One. And there are some very interesting and specific time rules but we never i mean we all know that a race has to be done in two hours you know two hours is the limit we tend to all know that rule but there's some other nuances to the time rules the lap numbers and things like that that could have affected the the math of the race well some of that also keep in mind there's only been since we've been watching Formula One in the last four years. There's only been two occasions where those permutations have needed to come into play or needed to be considered. Oh yeah. One of those was um, uh, not last year, but the year before in Japan, uh, when the typhoon rolled through. Those safety cars in that situation, it was a very big deal there, and there was a lot of question as to whether or not they were going to go the full distance on that before the incident. Um, the other time was in 2012 when they came within, like, minutes of running out of time. Mm-hmm. Those have been really the only two times in the last four years outside of this race in Brazil that there has even been a question as to whether or not we would need to exercise any of those rules. Well, I understand you don't start talking about them on a clear, sunny day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that. But this was one of those races where, you know— I remember at one point Steve Matchett saying the the teams aren't racing to 72 laps or 73 laps or whatever the standard thing is. They're racing to 53. Right. Because that was the point where the points values changed from half to whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and at half point values, everything got shooken up. Yeah. And so that's an interesting little tidbit in the process the rule i was unaware of is that once they start the formula one race yeah they can red flag it and stop it you know multiple times just like they did but they have a four hour window total yes so the race they can only go racing for two hours but that two hours must exist within a four you know the 120 minutes has to occur within a four-hour window, and that four-hour window doesn't stop. So if they red flag the race for 60 minutes, you now have 120 minutes of racing within three hours. Yeah. That kind of a thing. I wasn't aware that, you know, the whole thing could only be four hours long. So there was a lot of argument and a lot of debate and questioning about the safety cars. and, and oh, yeah. What, how long the, the safety car should have been out. And, and there always is, but there seemed to be, I think, a bigger split between the drivers with more drivers saying they were out too long. But there were quite a few that, that still said, well, it was perfect. This is what we needed. And one odd stat, because of the way this whole thing went down with the safety cars, technically the Mercedes didn't have a pit stop always. Right, because they changed their tires during the safety car. Not only did they change their tires, but they actually, because the way it works under red flag rules, they were able to change the actual setup of the cars. Because you can work on just about anything that you want. Lewis Hamilton got a completely new helmet. Yeah, well, it was because his special Ayrton Senna helmet was leaking. 
Right, but normal, normally in the middle of a race, a driver's not going to change the helmet. And, and what they were talking about was that he wanted some kind of blocking or something like that to be put in at when they finally did a pit stop. Well, at that point, that went right out the window. Yeah, give me my old helmet. Uh, can we just stop for a minute about the helmet thing? Mm-hmm. That radio call. And when we talk about whether or not we should have radio calls, these are the types of radio calls that need to hit the air because this was great. My helmet is leaking. Mm-hmm. Now, all I can picture is, you know, every time I do the shot from the car, you see the the rain shearing yep. off the thing. All I can think is this guy's got water running down the side of his face, down into his shirt, and he's still driving, and he's still driving out in front, and he cannot see the end of his car, and he's got the best view of the track. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's like a full contact sport right there. Um, there's one piece that you're missing in that, though. What? When the helmets, not only is now the water coming in and dripping on them, but when the helmet is leaking like that, the visor's fogging up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all of those things. I, I think that that's, that's a key piece of understanding all of the atmospheric difficulties that they deal with. Yeah. Oh, I mean, driving in the rain, that is the true challenge there. And it was kind of interesting to hear on the radio, you know, let us drive in the rain. This is what we do. This is what we have to be able to do this. Um, There were a lot of complaints about the tires this weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, they don't love the wet tires to start with, the full wets. Well, they're saying now that they are a step even further backwards. And there was actual testing leading into the season to, to... come up with better tires obviously they have not done it now Pirelli has come out and they have said that they are going to they have changed how they operate and will be more responsive to drivers complaints oh nice the question that I have is okay so we run into a similar situation middle of the season next year where again we're seeing that the the tires are not acceptable and a change needs to be made couple of things to keep and, and and yes Pirelli can do now they, they will have in-season testing this, to sort this out but in order for Pirelli to make a change in the compounds that are being provided mid-season the teams have to unanimously vote and approve that change right we had one year that it was it I think it was 2013 where where such a change went through was voted on and approved but like 2014 such a change was put forward and not approved so it's great that Pirelli might be able to come up with better tires. Doesn't mean we'll actually get to see them. Well, there's that part. But, okay, so the year that they didn't get approved, the reason they didn't get approved is one of the teams had figured out how to make those tires work. Well, it was the same thing the year before, too. But everybody was looking it, – it, I believe the what they needed, everybody needed that same thing with the change. The next year, somebody was really doing well on those tires. And, of course, they'd block everybody else that was having issues for that. We're talking full wets here, though. But 2013, one of the things that was credited with Red Bull winning is those tires, when they changed them, got harder. Mm -hmm. And the Red Bulls liked the harder tires. They had been struggling the first half of the season. They switched over to the harder tires, and they won the last nine races of the year. So... And... And thus, the next time they needed to make a change midseason, nobody was going to give anybody an advantage. Yeah. Um, the 
but uh, we are talking about full wets here. There's there's yeah. some safety issues that go on with that. Now, one driver who had absolutely no challenge with the full wets whatsoever was Max Verstappen. Holy smokes! Who, hands down, um, he pretty much gave a driving expo- uh, er, exposition. Well, he is. I mean. As, as as much as Max is Max in so very many ways, he is a phenomenal driver, and he is proving that karting is an excellent teaching because he's applying all the karting mm-hmm. things to Formula One, and you can see it. Now, he did win Driver of the Day, by the way, just because we, we you know follow that so closely. Um, but... He, during safety cars, he was poking his nose out off the line, which is a karting move, and getting out there off the line to see where well, where he could get around a little bit faster. He wasn't the, to, to be clear, he wasn't the only one who was testing out lines. No. He was the one who was getting noticed for it, but there were other drivers who were testing lines. And Truly, though, what was amazing about Max, not that he was testing lines and doing some of the other stuff. It was the fact that after he made that the switch to enters, which he didn't want to make in the first place, but the team said you should do it because it's, they're better. Um when they put him back on the full wet tires, he's down in 15th. And the team asked him before they did it, you know, do you think you can make it through the chain of cars? And he said, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So they throw him on the, fir- the full wets. He's down in, 15th, in 15th, and then through the course of, what, 10 laps, makes it from 15th to 3rd. Yep. That was it. not all the other bits and pieces of sticking his nose in. It was the fact that in on full wets, when everybody else was struggling, he manages to go from 15th to 3rd. Okay, yes, but the one of the reasons, and the pundits were all speculating on this, one of the reasons he could do that was because during the safety cars, he was testing and he was constantly pushing, so he knew where on those corners he could go. And he he was he he pushed that car in a phenomenal way, but it was a it was learning lap after learning lap after learning lap. He read it better than anybody else. He read it, and I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And as awesome as Jensen is in the rain, as awesome as Lewis is in the rain, they got a challenge with Max. Well, Jensen needs a car, but I understand. Yeah. But Lewis had no problem. Lewis even said this was one of the easiest races he's ever had, <laughs> which, given the conditions, that's kind of stunning. Yeah. But, but how much of that's head game too? Keep in mind, don't don't discount that Lewis plays this ultimate head game. So what this means in terms of the championship, in a nutshell, Lewis Hamilton can win the race. Oh, well, actually, even without Lewis Hamilton winning the race, if Nico Rosberg takes a podium. Even if Lewis wins, Nico is the champion. Correct. Nico cannot be on the podium. And then if he's not on the podium, then you've got a couple of permutations of what Lewis can do. But um, basically, the best scenario is Lewis wins the race, Nico gets fourth to get yeah. Lewis the win. Now, the other thing, the other um, event, the other occurrence of the weekend that you cannot ignore under any circumstances. As, as much as it was very disappointing for Felipe Massa's race to end the way it did, that send-off was 
pretty incredible. It was. It was. Um, our frequent commenter and one of our favorite listeners asked if anybody else had a tear in their eye during that. And uh, yeah, the answer to that question is yes. Um, he crashed out on his home race, his last home race in Formula One, um, walked back to the pits. In an interview afterwards, he said that when he crashed, it was a very big low, but actually being able to walk the 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 track and the fans supporting him all the way back into the pits was one of the biggest highs of his entire career. Well, let me relay the last bits of this race and the the day from Felipe himself. Oh, okay. Um, this is he wrote a column in Motorsport, and this is his retelling from the collision on. Um, he said when he got out of the car, he could hear the applause of the public, and sh- shortly afterwards, a marshal, marshal approached him and gave him a Brazilian flag. He said he looked at him to say thank you, and he was in tears. He said it was an emotional scene that affected him very much, and as he walked into the pits, he heard a crescendo of people shouting his name. He was really moved. A few minutes before, he was disappointed not to have finished the race, but had managed to keep his emotions in check. But scenes like he could not imagine came when he got back into the pit lane. With the Brazilian flag in his hands, he looked up and saw the mechanics of Mercedes in their race suits had come out into the pits to applaud. Then the boys at Ferrari and Williams did the same. If the Williams garage had been at the far end of the pit lane, he says he thinks that all the teams would have come out. It was an incredible scene and something that he personally has never seen in a pit lane during a race. He cannot find the right words to thank all of those who came to say words or give him a handshake. Um, He said, well, people often think that F1 is a very cynical world. There is a human side, and he had the good fortune to experience it firsthand on Sunday. And he has one last story that he shared. He said about an hour after the race, he climbed up onto the podium. The reason why is because people would not leave the track without a final farewell. So he said, and so as a great privilege, he paid homage to an extraordinary, extraordinary public. Aww. <laughs> Warn a girl next time, okay? Okay. Um, but yes, the the mechanics coming out, that was phenomenal. Seeing, I mean, just in the, the middle Ferrari of- The Ferrari folks, they better have come out. Yeah. They, you know. They, they owe him a lot. Um, but in the middle- middle of the pit lane having his wife and filipino come running out i mean that was a hug to end all hugs and no matter what else was going on for as crappy as the world feed can be sometimes they got it right they got that one perfect (laughs) they got that they got that one perfect so (gasps) we'll miss you masa now I can't ever have another stat that's in weight of masses. No, unfortunately. Well, you ha- keep in mind we have one more race. Maybe there'll be. He's something not in- done yet. No, no. One more race. Maybe he'll win. I yeah. I, <laughs> it would be great for Williams, but I don't see it happening. I know. Um, who also has one more race? That would be Jensen Button. But he says not really because well, he's going to be back, much like Schwarzenegger. Well, Jensen will still technically be the reserve driver for McLaren Honda for 2017, but he's also trying to uh, decide what his racing plans will be for 2017. He 
he is only hanging up the F1 helmet. So what he has said is that um, he doesn't believe that uh, Honda really wants him racing for any team that would be a main competitor to them, which means Le Mans is right out. Hmm. Um, he says he wants to do Le Mans, but clearly that's not happening next year. Um, he says hopefully there will be an opportunity to do that in the future. So he does want to do that. The two that he, he has thrown out is possibly the 1,000-kilometer race at Suzuka, which is a, a Super GT race, which I guess Honda has a presence at. And the other one is um, Rallycross in America. Hmm. And the reason why he specifically calls out Rallycross in America as opposed to Global Rallycross, which is something slightly different, is that Honda has a presence in whatever the American Rallycross series is, but they are not in the Global Rallycross series. Interesting. So that those are the two things that he's hoping to do. We'll see. So Lawn Boy in our house is right out, huh? No, because we have snow on the grass. <sighs> we have snow now. We'll have we'll need lawn mowing services in the summer. Yeah, but then he's going to be busy. Okay, fine. And it doesn't sound like he's considering IndyCar. No. Okay, fine. Also departing. This is is our departure segment. As we had expected, as we had heard the rumor this past weekend, Ron Dennis was shown the door. Wow. Wow. Um, and it sounds like, because there was a court case that went along with this, that uh, he did not win. He was not just shown the door. He was told not to allow the door to hit him in the butt on the way out. Whoa. Yeah. So the statement that Ron released. Oh. Ron Dennis, because apparently Ron speaks of himself in the third person when he sends statements out. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Dennis confirms that he has today been required to relinquish his duties as chairman and chief executive of McLaren Technology Group, MTG, having led and grown the business and been its creative force for more than 35 years. This follows a decision by the majority stakeholders to place him on gardening leave. <laughs> I never get put on gardening leave. I don't think I have tried. I don't think it's a good thing. Dennis remains on the boards of both MTG and McLaren Automotive Limited and a significant shareholder in both companies. He intends to honor his commitments to the group before launching a new technology investment fund later in 2017. Dennis said, I am disappointed that the representatives of TAG and Mumtalakat, the other main shareholder in McLaren, have forced through this decision to place me on gardening leave, despite the strong warnings from the rest of the management team about the potential consequences of their actions on the business. The grounds they have stayed are entirely spurious. My management style is the same as it has always been and is the one that enabled McLaren to become an automotive and technology group that has won 20 Formula One world championships and grown into an 850 million pound a year business. Throughout the time, I have worked closely with a series of talented colleagues to keep McLaren at the cutting age of technology to whom I will always be be extremely grateful. Ultimately, it has become clear to me through this process that neither TAG nor Mumtalakat share my vision for McLaren and its true growth potential. 
but my first concern is to the business I have built into its 3,500 employees. I will continue to use my significant shareholding in both companies and my seats on both boards to protect the interests and value of McLaren and help shape its future. From his garden. Yeah. McLaren's statement, it wasn't quite F you and a horse you rode in on. Yeah. And, and this all came down this past Tuesday. As of this afternoon, Ron Dennis no longer holds the position of Chief Executive Officer of McLaren Technology Group or its subsidiaries. However, he remains a shareholder and director of the McLaren Technology Group. Then they go on to say that he's done a whole lot for us, but he doesn't work for us anymore. And we're going to find somebody else. That is exactly the way it works in my company. Except that it also includes the statement of, this person no longer has access to the building, please don't let them in. Well, he's still on the board. <laughs> so it becomes a little difficult taken when you're badge. still a 50 or, or a, you know, a 49 or 50 percent shareholder to turn around and go, um, yeah, you can't come in the building, dude. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, there is that bit. There is that. I will grant that will be harder. So remember how we were talking earlier this year that these rumors went flying that I said I didn't get, give a whole lot of credit to that McLaren had entered into talks with Apple for Apple to buy them. Yes. And takeover talks. Yes. Word has come out that there were, in fact, talks with Apple held at McLaren. The groups did discuss their businesses and what they do. However, the word is is that it was not a takeover deal. It was to bring on a potential partnership deal. Really? However, talks never moved to the point that anybody put forth any proposals. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe that'll be resurrected now that Ron is gone. I don't know. The other thing you got to kind of wonder is, now that Ron is gone, could... Tag be rethinking their partnerships. Could several of these other organizations that supposedly walked away because they were mad at Ron, mm. might they consider coming back? Now, I don't know if Vodafone would come back, but possibly some of these other companies, would they consider coming back? Well, it will be interesting to see what sponsors they wind up getting because, you know, Ron was such a polarizing mm -hmm. entity. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch out for in 2017. The other question, does this mean that Martin Whitmarsh is going to emerge from whatever bunker that Ron stuffed him into? <laughs> you know how much I would love that. I really <laughs> liked Martin Whitmarsh. I really did. He seemed like a grandpa. He was just <laughs> such a nice guy. Seemed like he was, you know, well-knowledgeable, very easygoing. Yeah, you could just sit and, you know, have a drink with him. Don't know. You know who else you might be able to sit and have a drink with? Especially right now, because his calendar appears to be rather free. That would be Ferrari, former Ferrari um, technical director James Allison. I would like to have a drink with James Allison, too. Probably wouldn't understand most of what he says, but I'd really like to have a drink with him. I don't know. I don't think he's that hard to understand. 
technical. Oh, technical side. Okay. <laughs> From that piece, yeah. Most no, of what he's saying. It's not the he, accent. It's he's the, not not be like talking to like Maurizio or Riva Bene. No. You, it's that, not that. that is a challenge. No, it's not that. It's the it's the technical stuff. Okay. You know. Well <laughs> my limitations of technical. It's pretty. It goes around really fast. <laughs> and he looks he'll look at me and go, Yeah, girl. We're done. We're done. <laughs> Thank you. We're done. So there is talk. That um, Mercedes may be coming to a challenging negotiating situation uh, between the team and one Patty Lowe. Really? Um, and po- it, it's all re- related to compensation. And it possibly, Patty may be looking to make a move to Ferrari, which would then open up a spot for technical director. Hence James Allison. Right. It's an interesting thought. We had been predicting that James Allison would be headed towards the Instone team because it was close to home. We've, we've been talking about that. Apparently his name had been mentioned in connection with also McLaren and Red Bull. Um, how And I guess over at McLaren, James Allison has a very good relationship with Eric Boulier um, because they were both over at Lotus and, and they respected each other and, and got along pretty well. However, both teams have said that there is currently no fit for James in their organizations. Mm. So, yeah, that leaves possibly the Endstone team. Possibly if there's a shakeup coming at Mercedes, he could slide over into Mercedes. That's an interesting swap with Patty to Allison yeah. on both sides of Mercedes and, and Ferrari. Ferrari. Patty, avoid Mer- uh, Ferrari. Patty, I'm telling you. Ferrari, that's a nightmare. Don't go there. <laughs> Other team news. And and this isn't a huge surprise. We saw this happen last year and the year before as well. However, both Force India and Manor have contacted FOM and requested uh early payment of their twenty seventeen or, or their twenty sixteen uh prize fund fee. Not surprising, and I expect that we'll hear that Sauber does the same thing next week. Um, that's the question. Now, now, the other question is, Manor, up until this past weekend, was supposed to get money because they were in the points. Then Sauber got their two points mm-hmm. and knocked Manor down into 10th and off the list. No, the first 10 teams get money, don't they? Or they moved them down to 11th. They were in 10th. They moved down to 11th. Ah. So does that mean that they're not going to get money? Or is it because of the screwy way that payments happen and the fact that you have to be in the sport for, what, three years before you get any money that Manor will actually get money because Haas isn't going to get money? That I don't know, but it seemed a little odd that Manor's saying, hey, we want our money, and yeah, last week you kind of got bumped out of your money. Yeah, I don't know. Or is it pay us now and, and then forget that you know you, you, you send it over to us? Word is, however, that unlike in previous years, Force India isn't asking for the money for budgetary reasons, You know that they need it to, to just get through the year. It's more to ease some cash flow restraints. They know the money's coming, but they want to have it earlier so that they can do some things that they need. Oh. As opposed to if we don't get the money, we can't pay people. I Or we're locked out of our 
hospitality yeah. suite. That, that's that's the Endstone team that had those problems. <laughs> right. We have not heard yet of anybody else doing it. 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 My guess is it's likely that it's going to happen. Yeah. So. It's not that unusual for them to ask for their money a little early. Yeah. So the last bit of news this week, and I think it's a bit. There's not, nothing really came out of it. Um, there was this past week. Yeah, it was this past week. The first uh, or the the latest meeting of the strategy group. We know that there are supposed to be some discussions regarding track limits and some other pieces within the operation. We haven't heard anything come out of it yet. One of the things that I think we should all keep an eye an ear out for over the next couple of weeks of the strategy group, and as much as I hate to remind everyone of the debacle that was qualifying at the start of the season, one of the comments that was made when the decision came down that they were going back to the good qualifying was that they were going to revisit the qualifying again at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So we could go with some other stupid format for qualifying. It could happen. Oh, please, no. Well, that apparently is not on Bernie Eccleston's current hit parade of things he would do to make Formula One better. Well, in a nutshell, and, and there has been a lot of talk about this lately, including drivers being at, and drivers putting out their own comments about it that uh, Formula One may be a bit over-regulated at this point. Well, yes. So Bernie is pushing that basically they throw the rule book out and Charlie Whiting should start over. Well, he said specifically that the regulation book should be renamed Don't Race. He said it's written in such a convoluted way that there are so many that nobody, including the drivers, knows the right thing to do. Too many drivers hit the radio at the first sign of pressure or contact, and the proper drivers are frustrated. Proper drivers, not the improper drivers. Um, and so are the viewers. And so am I. It is crazy. The rules are like bollards now, slowing everything and stopping drivers from doing what comes naturally. Let them sort it out. If it's dangerous, we can deal with it. So, you know, free for all until somebody dies. Yes and no. I mean, there there are some truly valid points in there. And in our last show, we railed on some of those points, like the fact that we had the duels going on in Mexico City and a decision didn't get made for one of them, in, well, f- for all of them until after the race. We had three different third-place finishers at one point because they changed it so many stinking times. And, oh, by the way, one of the the reasons for that was, well, we looked at the telemetry over something that probably nobody really cared about, but the team said, well, you put this rule in place, we're going to make you enforce it. Yep. I mean, I get the idea behind the max rule, but yeah, so what what happened to allowing the drivers to determine what a safe move is. Max Verstappen has said multiple times, as we have said, that he does not believe that the rules as they are currently being enforced allows him to race. Of course, then he goes to Brazil and does what he did, and who knows about that. But, yeah, yeah, there may be some Trumpian hyperbole there. So, have you heard the latest and the greatest from the bad-haired Bernie on how he, he proposes to fix Formula One? 
Well, I guess my question before you jump into that is, is this from a sporting perspective or is this from the improving the show crap that he likes to do? Um, oh, it's, it's show. It's show. But before we get into what this is, I want to go through a little, a quick recap of previous Eccleston ideas to improve Formula One. Bernie brainwaves. Yeah. These, these are, these are three of his more recent brainwaves. Elimination qualifying. That was not on my list, but oh, thank you. Should be. Rain sprinklers claiming that Formula One races are always better in the wet. Bernie wanted sprinklers to artificially soak tracks to make the GP more entertaining. Mm-hmm. You see how well that went over, right? Mm-hmm. Double points introduced in the final race of 2014 and then immediately ditched despite Eccleston wanting it for more races. Yep. And this is my favorite one. Gold medals. The superior amount of race wins in a season would decide the world champion rather than points. Bernie wanted it for 2009, but despite repeated pleas, it never materialized. Hmm. I wonder why. Well, let's also not forget the high degradation tires. Mm -hmm. That would be a Bernie brainwave as well. There, there, there's more. We we had the list a couple of, couple of months. Actually, maybe in last year we discussed the list of Bernie brainwaves. Well, remember, and then we found his source, which happened yeah. to be a joke the from Book Top of Gear. Top Gear. Yeah. Okay, so Bernie, who apparently is now you know using Jensen Button as an, a top advisor for such things with Formula One fixes, has declared that what he thinks will fix F one will be that if we go to, on Sunday, two short races to replace the one long Grand Prix. Um, He says that he blames fans failing and falling attention spans and urges a shakeup. But he doesn't think that the sport has, and I quote, the courage to change. So what he is proposing is currently the Formula One weekend is Friday. Practice one is 90 minutes with two being 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. Saturday starts with a 60-minute practice three, followed by qualifying. Sunday is one race approximately 90 minutes long. The new format of Bernie is Friday is unchanged at one and two. Saturday practice three and qualifying for race one. And then Sunday would be two 40-minute races, race one deciding the grid for race two. The deal would be that it would shake things up with lighter, faster cars. Yeah, I don't know. what, what The idea that I liked, or do you want to go on with this deal? idea first before i well here's his theory behind it okay and i i want to call this out it's all american sports have timeouts built in mainly because american audiences can't concentrate they grow up in with everything in 15 minute segments on tv and people are the same everywhere now Uh uh-huh mic drop yeah. Right there. So we're fat, dumb, I, and lazy. Therefore, 
We and oh, and we are not a major percentage of the F one audience. So sure, let's cater to that. Well, okay. Let's total up some of the recent statements that Bernie has said in the last year about the American audience. Besides the fact that you know now we're fat, dumb, and lazy. We're not a, a large share of the F one audience. But let's also remember that he called. Um, the country itself in the lead up to Baku is some, um, what was it, a bit shit? <laughs> Does that violate our clean rating? Uh, possibly, but I'll, I'll deal with it this one time. Um, the idea that I, that I have heard floated, that I do kind of like, and I think it's something that I think is worth looking at is there's been a lot of talk about how all these teams, they've got their test and reserve drivers, they've got their development drivers, they've got all these other folks. And for much of what they do during the weekends, they don't get behind the cars. There isn't a time to develop them to to really get out there. They're doing publicity and marketing stuff and, and other bits and pieces. Why not leverage those in a way that impacts the weekend? After qualifying, possibly with a third car, let the teams have a third car for this. That way it doesn't impact the the cars. Same specifications and everything as, as their normal Grand Prix Day cars. That's where you have a 40-minute race, one car per team for their test and reserve driver. Those races are worth half points toward the Constructors' Championship. With those same points also being for a separate test and reserve driver championship award, like like the rookie of the year in Indy, but kind they, could, of. they don't have to be first year drivers. But but it's a chance for the teams to get additional running from their specifications of their cars and understand that part. It is a chance for the teams to evaluate the test and reserve drivers, but it has a bearing on championship standings mm-hmm. constructor only i like it i like it that and it's a 40 minute race so it's a sprint race mm-hmm. that's what i think they, that that's the idea i like i like it i definitely like it 